Sam. Yeah, Don? I heard a man's not supposed to cry, but I can't hide these tears inside. What's that, Don? What's this all about? I heard it through the grapevine. Not much longer would you be mine. (laughs) Yes, we've got big news related to the grapevine. We do indeed. That was a really cool text message we got last night. Yes, Sam and I are going to be the hosts of the new AA Grapevine podcast that we're creating for the AA Grapevine magazine, the official magazine of AA, our meeting in print. Indeed, folks. And it's uh, it's going to be really cool. We're coming up with some new show formats, a more frequent show as well. We've got some cool ideas and we've been kind of given run of things to just come up with what cool and new things might work. It's going to be a blast. No. It's going to be it's going to be a hoot. <laughs> and we're looking forward to it. Stay tuned, we'll give you more information as it develops. Yeah, we're going to keep y'all in the loop. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Welcome to the Oil Down Coffee Club podcast, a meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. Hiya, Sam. What's going on, Mr. Don? I'm letting go with a will. Clinch, don't let go, clinch. <laughs> what are you letting go of today? Hmm. I'm letting go of pet peeves. I'm Ooh. letting go of pet. You seem like a person who might have a few pet peeves. My pet peeves are are like little pet demons. Little demons that yes, little, eat little, at you. No, they don't eat at me. They attack other people. Through my My rage and and vociferous bellowing. (laughs) uh, You're the one drinking the poison, Sam. Expecting them to (laughs) die. But uh, tell us about your pet peeves, Don. Okay. Yesterday, someone said to me, have a nice rest of your day. And I said, like I say, every time I hear that, though I'm I'm quitting this. I said, <laughs> why are they adding have the rest of your day? What is what is being accomplished by adding the rest of your day? Just have a nice day is good enough. And I was thinking about it. And I'm so old. I remember when people didn't say have a nice day. They said goodbye or thank you. <laughs> and they didn't say it. And it became popular. And it swept across the country. And suddenly, I mean, it seemed like it was in a few weeks. Everyone was saying, have a nice day. And it was brand new. And it pissed me off then. Oh, Lord. I had a pet peeve against it then because it was so insincere. You know me. I am genuine. Sincerity (laughs) matters. Just this morning, I had in my mind when I woke up, that I want to stop using, I'm happy to help you with something, or I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to, because there are so many situations that 
happy is just not the right word to be using. I'm really, I'm happy to help you bury your dead dog. And so I went online and looked up some options. You want to be genuine. Well, what I want to do is not react with resentment when I hear somebody say, have a nice rest of your day. I realize that it's ridiculous because I grew accustomed to have a nice day. And believe me, I was, I was worked up about that. I can't imagine you getting worked up over <laughs> something that small. I mean, <laughs> and so I just no longer want to live in a state of agitation, particularly when it comes to impotent rage <laughs> against something that I can't change the culture and get people to quit saying the rest of your adding the rest of your. So I'm just like, if I hold on to it, then every day from now on, I get to have a little jolt of frustration and, you know, resent those jolts are powerful. They're recharging. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're not, they're not. I'm free, Sam. I'm letting go. There's always a little more letting go to, to yeah, do, yeah, and I'm letting is. go. Of. And Don, sincerely, I hope you enjoy the rest of this podcast. That sounded sincere. That didn't it sound wasn't. like some. It was not sincere at all. I promise you. <laughs> that was sincere. <laughs> Let's get our guest in here. Let's do. Hi, who are you? I'm a great alcoholic. My name's Kip. Hey, Kip. Kip. Thanks for joining us. Kip, what are you letting go of? Well, the biggest thing, Don, uh, that I'm letting go of, that I let go of, and it's a, and I could share with you is my marriage. Uh, it, as tough as it sounds, uh, the last I was married in 2014, got separated in 19 November, and been separated over a year and a half now. And I went through the process of when we were separated, Don, uh, you know, I went through everything I could to possibly save that marriage, like going to marriage counseling and doing what I could do to make it work where we would get back together. But finally it just, God just said, you need to let it go and leave it be. And as soon as I did, God brought another lady into my life pretty quick. I always was taught how you going to swing to the next vine. If you're still holding on to the other one. You know what I mean? So that's the biggest thing that I've let go, Don. And when I did, God opened this door that, that is unbelievable. You know, I mean, I, when did you get sober? I got sober uh, July the 8th, 2010 is my sobriety date. So my last drink was July the 7th, 2010. I got my high school sweetheart came back into my life, you know, about January, about seven, eight months sober. And we dated for three years and then I got married in 14 and we were married seven years and we're the, the divorce papers are all but signed. But anyway, again, the biggest thing that I've let go was that because I wanted to hold on to it. And anything that I've ever let go of Don's got claw marks on it. It just, yeah, yeah. Sobriety. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and I, you know, and finally, like I said, when I did, God opened another door for me and I got this beautiful new woman that I love dearly in my life. Well, how do you let go of something like a relationship? Yeah, it's definitely a process, Don. For me, I can honestly say, you know, I had to apply the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to my life, just like I do with anything. And it kind of just happens without my permission, kind of like the 10 step promises coming in. It took, takes a while, you know what I mean? Through prayer, 
meditation, talking it over with my sponsor, him giving me, you know, his take on it, uh, his suggestions. And finally, you know, it just kind of comes about. I can't explain it to you how it comes about. I can just say the process of the 12 step prayer meditation, turning it over, like, you know, reading that third step prayer, reading the, all those prayers that we have in the big book uh, and the uh, St. Francis prayer so forth are a lot of my favorite prayers. And it just takes a little while, you know, it's kind of like planting a seed, you know, mm -hmm. as we keep watering it, keep nourishing it sooner or later, it'll come up and, and, and it's up to God where, when, that, when, and where that happens. And I've learned, you know, that uh, he's, he knows better for me than I do myself. You know, I sometimes, well, there's things I've had to let go of, and I just freaking don't want to let go of it. I, you know, I don't want to do it. And it happened to me with in um, my wife and I in sobriety when my son graduated from college and left home entirely. You know, we said, okay, how are we going to do deal with this empty house? And we started contra dancing, which is like square dancing. And we loved it. And we did it for seven years and danced once or twice a week. We would go together and, and contra dance. Well, she began to have physical problems, her shoulder and her hip. Mm -hmm. And dancing exacerbated it. And it, it got to the point where it was not fun for her. She started not going, but I would still go because I loved it. It was the most exhilarating thing in my life. And that you if you dance for two hours, that's a way to get a workout and you don't <laughs> even know you're doing it. <laughs> that coupled with you being a bit of an enthusiast, really, I am an enthusiast, but I slowly began. I didn't want to see it because she was like, didn't want to say, I don't want you to go dance. She didn't want to say it. But it really was starting to bother her that I would go out and go dancing for two hours once or twice a week without her. Mm. I talked to my sponsor about it and he was going, well, you might want to think about, you know, you got to think of others. And it was like, okay, I've got to quit doing this. I quit and I resented it. I really resented it. And I had to. I mean, like you said, it was a process. It took a, a year or more of praying and giving it to God and trying to, I want to, I'm focusing on others. I'm doing it for her, but it was like, yeah, but I want to go do this. And I'm giving up the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, you know, oh man, it was hard. So I like what you say about it being a process. You know, for me, it, for letting go to happen, I first have to have awareness. I have to have awareness that I am holding on to something. And yeah. then I have to, to fall into acceptance that this is what it is, not what I think it should be. And I can't make it be that. You know, the biggest example I have of, of, of letting go in, in my life in regard to relationships was my husband and I. At eight years into our relationship, three years into sobriety, both of us realized that we were trying to make our relationship be something it wasn't and decided to let it be what it is. And in doing that, it took all this pressure off of us. And we're still together. 
we are married and, and we have a fantastic relationship. We are totally family, which is amazing. And when we did that, awareness led to acceptance, led to letting go of what wasn't working and embracing what does. I like fall into acceptance. Oh, I like that. <laughs> fall yeah. And that's what you said. I fall into acceptance because I could, I could not make myself accept it. Yeah. We, there's no way that could have happened without recovery work. You know, yeah. I, no way drinking would that have happened. Um, and no way not having worked the steps would that have happened. I worked my steps. He worked his steps. We both were working with sponsors and we got there. Yeah. And it wasn't something that was forced. And that for me is aligning my thinking and, and actions, my will in my life with God as I understand God. That's great. Kip, when you got sober, how did you come to AA? Had you heard of AA before? I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1989 when I went to prison for the first time. And this, a long time ago. Yeah, and I got involved deeply into the DART program uh, while I was in prison over the years. I've been to prison five times. I'm not proud of that. That's just my story. And in 2010, July the 7th, is when the police arrested me and they uh, took me to jail. I was at the jumping off point. Like I've all, I share in my story that could have very well been on my tombstone date. Cause I was really at the jumping off point, ready to commit suicide. I was done. I had stole everything my ha dad had of value and they sent me to jail. And this time, uh, two months in jail, they came to me and said, and he said, do you want some help with your drug and alcohol problem? Uh, and I said, yes, sir, I do. And, uh, of course I didn't know if I was sincere at the time because I was still in the fog, but I would say anything because I saw that no. maybe I'd find a way out of jail, get out of trouble. And they said, you're not going to stay in Greensboro. We're going to send you to a place called caring services in high point where it's a recovery community, uh, that, uh, has IOP, but you live in the houses outside of the main facility. They said, if you do everything we ask you to do over the next one year, we'll dismiss these poor felonies and you won't have to go back to prison for, uh, it was, I think it was 32 to 42 months or something in that area. Oh, wow. And I began to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and I've got, that's the dogs. Yeah. I began to do exactly what they told me to do. And I, like I said, I didn't know if I wanted what you guys had when I got here, but I sure knew I didn't want what I had no more guys. I was 40 years old at the time. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was spiritually bankrupt. I had no ways to look. And I just decided, you know, if I got to be here, I'm going to do what these people say. You know, I didn't been to prison and jail. I did 10 years in installments. I was like, I'm 40 years old. I finally had a moment of clarity to some degree, not a great big moment, but a little bit of a moment. I'm like, you're never going to amount to nothing. You're not going to be successful at suicide. So if you got to be here, let's see what they got. And uh, they're taking care of me. It didn't cost me a dime because I didn't have no money. And so I began to do exactly what they told me. And by the way, I walked into the club there in High Point. I was on a seven o'clock curfew for the first six months. So I had to be at an AA meeting every day. I had to go to IOP every day. I had to go to anger management. 
had to go to a task officer, probation officer, but all day long they had me doing something. And when I got to the club, I had to go to a 7.30 a.m. AA meeting because that's the only one I could get to. And it's every day. It's called the Own Awakening Meeting in High Point. When I got there, there was this big old guy there, and he was making the coffee. I got there early because I was I'm an early guy at the time, uh, when long as I'm not drinking. Uh, and I walk in and he said, yeah, welcome to the club. Welcome to the on awakening meeting. We're going to make you the chairperson today. And I was like, all right, thank you. I'm important. I think I'm somebody. And they said, yeah, I need you to stack these chairs over here and I need you to, <laughs> I need you to mop the floor. And when you get done and it dries, put the chairs back, your official chairperson. So, uh, and guys for, you know, I would Did say that really for, happened. That really happened. That really happened. <laughs> that's that great. On. That is awesome. Yeah. They yeah. were ready for you. Yeah. Everybody that comes in new gets that job if they want to stay sober. And it was, it was perfect for me at the time. And guys, I got, I was a perfectionist. So I was looking at the tiles on the floor and I'd have them chairs to spread yeah. apart. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. And but uh, wait a minute, Kip. So you learned like you're into recovery now and you're accepting it. What about all the times did, did you see that, alcohol was maybe causing you some problems in all the prison terms that you did, yeah. you know, could you see it beforehand? Absolutely. But I just didn't care. You know, I got, I wanted, I, I wanted to live and I didn't care. And I wanted to have my mail delivered there uh, because that's what I just did not care. When I put alcohol, I got to a point, y'all know y'all, if y'all are like me, I got to a point where, I just didn't care. Nothing else mattered, but alcohol. I didn't care about the consequence. It wouldn't matter what judge probation officer, wife leaving job gone. It didn't matter. I had to have my alcohol at all costs. And if prison, if it meant prison, so be it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I couldn't see in front of me. The only thing I could see is the next drink. You're living see. one day at a time, weren't you? <laughs> living, yeah, yeah literally. literally, literally, literally. Yeah, I mean, it was no. alcohol was the only thing that made life tolerable. Yeah, that was my experience. Absolutely. And and going to prison was was a relief, actually. You know, I was glad that finally they would lock me up. Believe it or not, there was some relief in going to that jail. So I didn't have to do that. I had no choice, Don. I had lost all power of choice, whether I was going to drink or not. Even when I didn't want to drink, I drank. Mm. You know, that's So then you go to a treatment center and discover alcohol is the whole ding dong problem. Well, I found out I was the problem. What alcohol was, that's, that's, that's where the magic happened for me is I always thought alcohol was the problem when all along it was me. It really was. It was me. I need, I had an ism called internal spiritual malady that only an act of providence could solve. Only God could do this. Like I shared here earlier in the meeting that, uh, you know, I had, a, I'm a little bit different. I'm not going to say I'm unique, terminally unique or anything, but most people, they have a problem with that higher power thing mm -hmm. when they come in and that's great. Uh, and that's good. Good. But my problem was I had a higher power I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up believing in the grace and forgiveness and all that. So if God and the church wasn't going to fix me, surely Alcoholics Anonymous was not going to do it. So there was my content prior to investigation. So if I'm not going to get free from this bondage of self and have to drink all the time and do outside issues, then surely Alcoholics Anonymous is not going to work. And you, I imagine you 
would feel like I've, you know, I've, I've asked God to keep me sober, keep me out of trouble. It didn't work. Exactly. And well, I didn't, I didn't understand. I had no understanding of the 12 steps. See, I learned later that the 12 steps came uh, from what I believe, you know, I mean, they really did from the Oxford group uh, after doing some more investigating, it made it more simple for me to actually do some application where than just reading the Bible. And yeah, it gives clear cut direction in there. But again, I always went back to if the, if, if I wasn't going to get it in the church, I got called to preach in 1996 guys. I didn't get sober until 2010. So here I am a preacher. I'm trying to live right and do right. And I still can't stay sober. I was here for two months. I'd say when they go around the room and everybody introduced, I say, I'm, I'm, I'm Kip. I'm just blessed to be here. And I'd get people to ask me, why don't you say you're an alcoholic? I was like, well, I'd throw them at that third tradition. I'd say, well, it's the, the only requirement, you know, is a desire to stop drinking. I, I just got a drinking problem. I don't really want to say I'm an alcoholic. Well, I went to my pastor guys and I said, pastor, and he's a pretty smart guy and he's very religious and very spiritual too. And he said, Kip, if everybody in this church would say I'm a sinner and I'm such and such, we'd all be on the same page. So saying you're an alcoholic is not a bad thing. He said, you identify with them and you get on the same page and you're all on one accord and it'll work for you. And I went back the next day and I said, I'm a great alcoholic. My name's Kip. I got a standing ovation guys at this <laughs> meeting. They said, we're glad you finally found out, but they didn't understand where I was coming from. Yeah. Then I read on page 417 at the bottom and I'll be quiet after this. It says for years, I was sure that the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me is that I'd turn out to be an alcoholic today. I have found it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. See, being an alcoholic is a good thing. My whole perspective, yes. I had a perception problem, Don. And, uh, Sam, I had a perception problem, you know, my way of thinking was skewed to the umpteenth degree. So now when I say I'm a grateful alcoholic, I'm grateful to be an alcoholic because, you know, in the big book on 124, it says cling to the thought that in God's hands, there's the key in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. A lot of people have a problem, and, and I remember feeling like, what is they talking about? I'm a grateful alcoholic. This is horrible. This is horrible what's happened to me. And now I see it. But I had the same problem. What it was with me, when it went around the room, the first meeting that I went to, and I was going around the room to say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. I'm Bill, I'm an alcoholic. And it's come, I was like... What am I going to say? I had never said the words, I am an alcoholic before. Before I said, I'm Don and I'm a little tipsy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't say I'm an alcoholic. I had a problem with the word too when I came it, in and I would not introduce myself as Sam. I'm an alcoholic. I would say I am alcoholic. I would not identify myself as an alcoholic. I would say that I was alcoholic. Um, and to me, that was a whole lot of difference. Yeah. Another thing I learned too in, uh, in there is when my sponsor said, oh, principles for personality, say you're a grateful alcoholic and then the personality's Kip. So I always introduce myself as I'm a grateful alcoholic. My name's Kip. So I can put the principle first, personality second. 
Yeah. He reminded something simple. One guy said, I, I had to make a change. The only thing I did was I changed my watch from my left hand to my right hand just to make a change. <laughs> you know, and that's painful sometimes when you're used to wearing it a certain way. So, you know. Well, the painful part, those little, little things are easier to change. But the hardest thing in the world was to change my mind. When I came to AA, for me to say a prayer was like incredibly painful, but I got into so much pain that I decided one day to ask God for help because everybody was talking about that in AA and okay, I'll try this. It hurt because it was given up. Some letting go there. <laughs> yeah. Letting go of my way letting go of my ego, letting go of my plans and my designs. You know, one of the things that I had to let go of when I got into these rooms was the thought that AA was religion. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that, Kip, that you had this relationship in the church and you went to your pastor and you talked so freely and openly about this and brought this problem that you were having in AA to your church and got that clarity that helped you come back into AA's rooms and identify as an alcoholic. And, and what I love about that is that, yes, AA is a spiritual program. It is not religion, but there is nothing about AA that conflicts with religion. It enhances. If someone is religious Getting the alcohol out of the way, doing the work that we do in AA doesn't conflict with religion. Absolutely. But and you don't have to be religious to do AA. Yeah, well, because of AA, what I do now is I put one hand in AA, one hand in my Christian belief, God's hand, and I walk. Here we go together. That's what's worked for me and uh, for the last 11 years, you know, and what a blessing. And my pride, you know, yeah, you probably got some alcoholics that are in the church that probably need, but this is, there's a swarm of millions of people that I've met all over the world that I identify with. You know, I always say my story got me here. Your story keeps me here. I love it. I can't get enough of it. When I hear Don's story speak the other night on AA Zoomaholic speaker meeting, man, it just blows me away. It, it gives me tingles and chills and I really get the vibe, you know what I mean? And even if I don't, I'm okay with it because Feelings, I don't let feelings dictate my life no more, you know, but it just happens. You know, I just want to be present. God has put something in down in the inside of me to want to be there for others. And uh, that came without my permission. If somebody's listening to this who is atheist and is like going, uh-oh, AA, this is because this is what my thought was. If I go to AA, that it's going to be. And this is an interesting thing with my brother who did not get sober in his lifetime. And he didn't like AA because he said, they said in AA that he couldn't believe in Jesus. And I didn't like AA because I said, all they are talking about is Jesus. <laughs> and neither one of us were right. Neither was true. <laughs> well, that's the whole program is based on how it got really started and took off the way it did is when Abby went to Bill and said, why don't you choose your own conception? Uh, and that's one Bingo. thing I do not do guys is I don't push God of my understanding on anybody, nor do I preach it in the middle of an AA meeting. I found a good balance with that where uh -huh. I, you know, I stay neutral. I've been placed in a, a position of neutrality, not just from alcohol. We cease fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. So today I'm in place in this, what you believe, 
I respect it. I just want what I believe expected. And if I don't, if I'm not, it's okay. I, I know how to shake it off. So to speak, it's all right. If you don't believe what I believe and don't respect me, I'm going to keep coming. Cause this is what saved my life. That is a beautiful thing to be able to get to where I'll allow other people to have different beliefs than me. And that wasn't okay before I came to AA. It's very true. It's very true. And as the resident atheist, you know, I'll jump in there that, you know, I do not have a conception of an entity as a higher power, but I still find that there is, are these spiritual things in my world that I can align my living with. And it works a lot better. Call it the flow, call it the force, call it whatever you want to call it. I don't need to define it. I just know that what I'm doing works and I'm good. But when I was uh, living in in Graham, North Carolina, had moved uh, into my grandmother's uh, empty home. So Graham is where I grew up. I started going to AA meetings there, but I was also going to AA meetings in Durham. And I needed to find a new home group. My home group was in Durham, because uh, but schedule changes made me have to find a new home group. The logical choice was the one that was a half mile down the street from the house. Logical. But I talked to my service sponsor at that moment, and I told him, it's like, I'm having a hard time finding a new home group because, uh, you know, the schedule's not working. And he's like, well, why don't you go to the ones in Graham? And I'm like, because they're too Jesus-y. And he looked at me and gave me this most wonderful reality check. And it was, Sam, have you thought that just for a second, maybe, just maybe, there's someone that's going to those meetings or is going to go into those meetings who needs to hear someone share that's not talking about Jesus? Yep. And I got a new home group in Graham. Hmm. So it, nice. it, there's room for all of us in AA. And Kip, you nailed it. The respect is the thing that we got to hold on to. We got to be kind to each other. Absolutely. And I always heard, be the change you want to see. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not getting anything out of this AA meeting. Well, what am I putting into it? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there it is. They say your home group's not the best in the world. You might want to change home groups. Well, maybe I need to be the one to change in that home group. Uh, to make it a better home group or whatever it is I need to put into it. And then my perception will change. Who knows? Like you said, you never know when that one person, God, you know, if we've truly made a decision to turn our will on our lives over to the care of God, as we understand, we know he's directing our paths in any way it is. If I've got that pull in my heart to take me to a certain place, uh, then I best be going, you know, because God's got something not only for that person there, but something for me. You know, it's all the steps in the big book for this alcoholics to, to make me fit to be of maximum service to God and my fellow man. So that's what I strive to do is follow the leadings. And one more thing is let your conscience be your guide is only valid if God is guiding your conscience. So I let God or my higher power, whoever your higher power, whatever it is, guiding my conscience. And as long as I don't put drugs and alcohol in there to distort it, I've got a good leading. And yes, sometimes I mess up and think I've heard God, you know, and then I didn't. 
I have to do a tenth step. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> I, I can admit it. It's, well, right. I mean, I used to be yeah. guided almost entirely by my lower power. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also why we have our trusted friends, our sponsor and our trusted friends in recovery that we talk with about these things Check. rather than thinking that we know, oh, God has told me to do this yeah. and I'm going to run with it. Maybe yeah. it's a good idea for me to talk with some folks. Always. Absolutely. Get a different perspective. Absolutely. So, Kip, tell us about one of the steps. You talked a little bit about being in treatment, and that's kind of where we left off. What was one of the steps that was pivotal in a change that you could see a change in yourself? Well, definitely all the steps, but those the, that step uh, four and five and then uh, nine, especially nine, for me. Have you got an experience that you could share? Yeah, I've got one that that sticks out tremendously to me. There was a a gentleman that I had bought a car from when I was like 20, 21, 22 years old, and I owed him a thousand dollars and I'm 40 now. So this is 20 years that I've owed this guy for a thousand dollars. You know, I'm about seven, eight months in, I started working at this car business and he caught wind of it and he never said one word about it. He was a friend of mine. He, I, was a, I was a friend of his son's and he loaned me that money. I, uh, and anyway, he said, you just paid me the thousand dollars back, a uh, hundred dollars a month, 10 months. And you, and I never paid the man one dime and all lo and behold, he showed up at the car lot where I had started working at and just started making conversation. How you been doing? I see you doing good. I like to see you doing good, blah, blah, blah. And God instantly, I mean, it's kind of like a God shot and I actually was just finished up my step eight and he was on the list. Whoa. So this guy, this guy, now look, I'm just starting back to work after being, you know, got nothing. So I ain't got a thousand dollars to say here, I'm going to pay you back this money. I said, Mr. Victory, that's what was his name. I said, sir, I know, I remember. I don't know if you remember, but I'm sure you probably do. I don't ever forget nobody owing me money. I don't know about y'all. No, <laughs> no, you remembered. Uh, and, and I said, Mr. Victory, I know I owe you this $1,000. And with the interest, I'm sure I owe you a lot more than that. If you could be patient with me, I'd really like to start working on paying this. He said, Kip, I got the perfect thing for you. I've got, because he knew I was a carpenter. I did carpentry work for 25 years. And I had explained to him how he said, I tell you what I, I'm going to do. He said, come over there. I want you to tear all my decking boards off my deck. It's a 20 by 20 deck. And I want, I'm going to buy everything you need to put the new ones back down. And when you're done, we're even, it took me three days and I got it done and I didn't know him. And you're talking about a sense of peace, serenity that come over me knowing I finally, after 20 plus years did the right thing by that guy. And we still talk today. We're like, Best buds, man. I mean, anytime I want to talk, I can talk to him. He said, Kip, I knew where you was at at the time. And I knew not giving me an excuse or a way out. He just said, I knew. And uh, I knew that you was a good guy inside and out. And a lot of us are not bad people. Most of us in AA are just sick trying to get well, you know. And I finally got to working them steps and got some wellness about me. And man, what a joy. And that's just one example that God put that man right in front of me at the right time. And I was able to make that amends and uh, I could go on and on guys. I mean, the miracle shot again, that was the right thing to do. Pay the man back. I owed him the money. The truck's been long gone. I crashed it, but I still owed him the money. Was alcohol involved in that wreck? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I crashed that car. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I do love how they show up, though. As yeah. I become ready, I mean, it's, it's just like that thing uh, the, when the student is ready, the teacher will, will show. Absolutely. You know, it's the same thing for those opportunities for me to do things in life. And through working through these steps, I had similar experiences where I, I had a financial amends that I did that was uh, painful. It was a lot of money. And it showed up at three and a half years sober. It was just the perfect situation where making that amends helped that person significantly. It's, it's crazy how this stuff works. And them steps are lined in a perfect order because, you know, those first eight steps prepared me for the ninth step because sometimes people are just don't want to hear it, you know, so I got to get my heart right to be able to receive some rejection. Cause I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I don't take rejection. Well, I'm trying, I'm doing good. I want you to know I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm here to make an amend. They'd be like, just get off my porch. I don't want to see you ever again. It don't matter how great you're doing. Kip, what would you say to somebody who is sitting on the ninth step and can't find the willingness because they're afraid? Well, I definitely would uh, get with a sponsor. A lot of times we go in our sponsor, and even I'm willing to do it with my sponsees, is to be present with them when they do the specific, you know. And again, it says except when to do so. So we got to be careful would injure them or others. You know, there's certain amends I just got to live with that I can't make. Just to give an example, this didn't happen to me. I don't want you to think it did. But if I slept with somebody's wife, I don't need to go making amends to this guy and he don't know about it. That'd be making amends when I don't need to be making amends. And, and, there's, a, and there's a specific word in that, direct amends. Yes. There are still amends that I can do in those situations yes. where I cannot make direct amends because it would harm someone. Exactly. Don't um, do that. And, Exactly. I can change my behavior. Um, and I've also learned uh, of other people doing things like, uh, you know, there's there was a, a friend who helped turn a lot of people on to how to inject drugs. Now, obviously, we're not talking about that here, but, you know, he's like, there's no way that I can make amends to all those people that I taught how to do that. But what I can do is help people get sober today and Absolutely. continue to do that. Absolutely. Tip the scale, right? move it the other way. Yeah. That's what we one, do in one, recovery. One more I'll give you real briefly is my dad. My dad passed away this, uh, you know, I told y'all earlier that I stole all this stuff. Well, yeah. you know, my dad was the type of guy. He was like, Kip, you're living right. I don't, all I want you to do is be sober. Don't, don't worry about paying me back, blah, blah, blah. Well, I knew in my heart what to do. And even my sponsor, I didn't even have to ask him, but I knew what he was going to say. He said, you need to make that amends not for your dad, because he don't really need the money, but for you so you can live with yourself. So I was able to pay my dad back every penny plus interest what I owed him. And when he passed, I was able to be there for him. And I was, by, by the way, us alcoholics, whenever we're doing right and living right, we become, uh, at least I did, the leader of the family. And I was the only one that could go to that hospital for my dad uh, cause they all appointed me to, you're the most responsible person we got in our family. And we want you to go up there. COVID only person to go in was one person until uh, his last, until they put him in uh, the last two days, they let four people. Hospice. Yeah. Kind of hospice wing of the hospital there at Cone. So, you know, I was able to make that amends and he started working for me cause he loved cars too. And he began to drive cars and I paid him to work for me and he loved doing it. So I was able to do an amends with him, pay him back every penny. 
what a what a relief and knowing he's gone now i can look myself in the eye i don't have to take a drink to go man i hate i missed it blah 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 because i used to drink at things mm-hmm. my mom passed away when i was 14 the last two weeks that she was alive i didn't see her because i didn't want to be at that hospital i was selfish self-centered 14 years old to the core i wanted to rip and run she Last word she told me when I was at her bed two weeks prior to her death was come give me a kiss and a hug goodbye. And I drank at that and I didn't go, I didn't go toward her. I went right out of the room. Like I didn't hear. And I drank, I used that as an excuse. Hmm. After doing a fourth and fifth step, I did that as an excuse. I used that as an excuse to let the clutch out to the maximum, you know, cause I hurt cause I love my mama. I really did. But the, the fact that I did that hurt me to the core. And how I finally come to grips with it is God forgive me. She would have forgiven me. I really sincerely would have done something different at this time in my life. If this, if, if, if given the opportunity. So I had to get forgiveness. I found forgiveness sets the prisoner free and I found the prisoner was me, you know? So I had to get forgiveness from me. God forgave me. Who am I to keep beating myself up suicide mode? The rest, I mean, again, I was 40 years old when I got sober and I'm so grateful that God's grace and mercy shined down on me and gave me one more chance. And when I finally surrendered to the process of those 12 steps, got a sponsor, started reading that big book, started applying what was in that big book to my life, I began to change. Our lives are restored. You know, I'm in the no matter what club. I've decided job, no job, wife, no wife. Dog, no dog, house, no house. I'm not going to drink because that's not any problem. I got to drink or make worse. Absolutely. That is so true. Well, Kip, thank you for joining us on this. And I want you to stick around, but you you might want to watch your head because that owl swoops sometime. Here it comes. (laughs) It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? Um, you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. That's the way it works for all of us, Sam. (gasps) You got my name right, old timer. What's wrong? Are you okay? (laughs) You can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Jeff in Sacramento. They say something like, take what you want and leave the rest. But what if the rest are all the steps? What do you think about a member of AA that refuses to do the steps? Every member of AA has their own path and their own choices to make. People come to different decisions. People come to willingness at different points in their recovery. When suddenly it's like, you know what? I do need to make this amends. It's like I have been resisting it forever. So I don't think that you are working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous if you're not doing the steps. That's what it is. The rest of it's fellowship, going to the meetings. But the answer to alcoholism is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So hopefully by going to meetings, 
someone will hear it and hear it and see what happens to other people. Just like Kip has described so beautifully, a life restored, a change. I'm not the same person that I was. And what happened to me was the 12 steps. The 12 steps are a, uh, instructions on how to live sober and how to live well. So if someone doesn't want to work the steps, they don't have to work the steps. If somebody wants to come to AA and drink, but they have a desire to stop drinking, they can come to meetings. Hopefully that's what we're here for is to be an example of what works. So we need to each just continue to be an example. Kip, let's see. What do you think about a member of AA that refuses to do the steps? Well, like I said, if they're here, that's probably half the battle. If we can get people here present and get them involved, you know, to just come. And if they're refusing to work the steps, what do you do? You know, uh, there's nothing I can do. I'm, I had to work the steps. I came to AA for years and never worked the steps. So I get it, you know, so I understand uh, I was very resistant, but I'd show up to the meetings. I'd drink your coffee. I'd, I'd eat your cookies. And, uh, and of course, I didn't get to stay sober. The road of happy destiny is paved in them steps, not the road to happy. See, we're in the happy destiny presently because we've all worked those steps. Uh, the, and we continue to work them 1 to 12 and 12 back to 1 with another. So my encouragement to people, live and let live. If you come in here, you know, as hard as that is, I'm like, you know, people could stayed on me though. And I'm grateful for those that stayed on me. And there's, and after that, they let it go, you know, and I can't live in, you know, staying on somebody all the time about working the step. When the student, like you said, when the student is ready, maybe they hadn't had enough. I don't know, whatever reason, they're not working the steps. I pray that they get it, you know, because some people just don't make it. I hope that they do. And I hope that they get it. And like you said, Don, be an example. We work steps in front of them and show them that we we've got this joy that's down in our heart that just illuminates a room when we go into it and we're happy and people that would want to be sober, I would hope would want that. Uh, maybe eventually they'll get there, Sam, maybe eventually if they keep coming. I would never turn nobody away. I mean, if somebody comes in, we've had people come in drunk to our meetings and uh, we just say, you know, just don't disrupt the meeting, please. And you, you're welcome to be here. We're glad you're here. Get some phone numbers. Thank you. Well, you know, I mean, a, a few things come to mind. Uh, Jeff, thanks for sending in this question. So I, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous for eight months before I even got a sponsor. And one of the things that I learned, the traditions get us sober. And the steps, the program leads to the solution that keeps me sober. The traditions ensure that the fellowship exists, that meetings are around, that we can find each other. And the fellowship is wholly, in my experience, where I got sober. I stopped drinking because I was hanging out with other people who weren't drinking. And that's what my life became. I got up in the morning, I went to work, I got off work, went home, changed clothes, fed the dogs and went to AA. And I stopped drinking. But I also got that if I want to stay stopped, I need to work this program. I need to get a sponsor and I need to do these steps because that obsession can come back. Now I have 
one person, I have one friend that, uh, that got sober, uh, some, sometime around when I did, who has never worked the steps. He's still sober. You know, I, I, his life is not the life that I want, but he's a happy person. More power to you. That is fantastic. There are people who do not work the steps and who stay sober. But for me, the benefits that I have gotten out of working the steps have been huge. The life I have today, the experiences that I have with people today, they just wouldn't have happened if I had not been working this program in my life all these years. The thing though is, and I love this, go where you're fed. And if going to meetings is making your life better, go to meetings. If you don't want to do anything else and you just want to go to meetings and you're, you get something from that, you're getting fed, go to meetings. But another thing that I've heard is the fellowship is the dessert. The program is the meal and you can't live off of dessert. Let's get literal here. I could live off of cake, candy, and ice cream for probably a pretty extended period of time, but my body is going to go to shit. But if I eat my meat and my veg and, and, and grains and all that stuff that I, I need to, that I'm getting the proper nutrition in my body, then I'm going to have a good body a healthy body that, uh, that, and I get to enjoy the dessert too. The boiled dough is the cherry on top of the whipped cream of the dessert of AA. And the old timer is the stem on the cherry. <laughs> Are you calling an old timer? Kip, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam and Don, for having me. It's been a glorious time. I enjoyed every moment of it. You bet. Now watch your head again. Here comes that pesky owl. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. And thank you to Peter in Worcester, Massachusetts, for your contribution. We really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Have a nice rest of your day.